Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soul Fire, Fire production. production. Recording in progress, so we're back. Hello, 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 everyone. People don't know that we haven't recorded for a while because we had some in the can, but you and I, you and I were uh, <laughs> independently uh, under the weather. Um, sort of independently, but yeah, we both got COVID. Well, how was it dependently? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't give it to you and you didn't give it to me, but that's, we saw each other. We yeah, spent some sick time what, together. That's what I meant. I meant that. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah, I don't want people thinking the wrong thing out there in the world. <laughs> oh, sure you don't. <laughs> uh, um, so why to... don't you tell people your journey and I'll tell them mine? Well, my journey was, uh, I have been maskless and vaccineless for two years. And I've been in people's houses and I've been out and about and going to King's Games and that sort of thing and hadn't been sick and really in two years. I mean, it's probably the longest period of time that I really hadn't been sick other than the time I got food poisoning from Wendy's, which, which was, <laughs> a, which was uh, self-inflicted. Um, and then uh, I started to feel crappy about two weeks, about two weeks ago. And mm -hmm. uh, it really knocked me for a loop. And for, you know, I, I was never really that sick. I never had a fever. I really, not until I got real congested about day seven or eight that did I lose my sense of taste and smell, but I think it was more related to the fact that my, my nose was completely congested, that sort of thing. But I, you know, I never had shortness of breath. I never had fever. I never had shaking chills. I basically had aches. I had a headache and I had a cough. Um, and you, uh, have lost your sense of taste and smell? Not, or no, not in the first week I did. Okay. And then it sort of went into my head, into my sinuses. And then I got congested. The headache went away. The aches sort of went away, but I was sort of just congested. And then to, to make everything, you know, and then it sort of got better. And then it sort of got worse again. So it kind of waxed and waned. Yeah. Uh, Some days, like I would go, I went to work one day and then the next day I was sort of wiped out again. And I had some sinus pain specifically on my left side. And I thought, you know, this is really weird. It's just one side. And then I realized that it wasn't my sinus at all. It was my tooth. And I ended <laughs> up having to go to the dentist and I got a root canal. Ah, dang. Right. So um, I'm not sure if the COVID caused, I had this tooth that for a long time, my dentist had been watching and he kept saying, you're going to probably need a root canal. You're going to probably need a root canal. But you know how we are with medicine. It's like, well, when I need a root canal, I'll need a root canal, but I'm not going to do it. Intentionally, and this went on for years. And then suddenly I went to the dentist a few weeks ago for a routine checkup and everything was fine. And he keeps telling me again on the x-ray, yeah, you're gonna need a root canal on this thing eventually. And then two weeks later, while I have COVID, I it it flares up. Yeah, makes sense to me. Your your immune system was weakened. So you think that's what happened? You think it Yeah, and and reason? you know, the thing that they're saying about COVID is that it it goes to your weakest point. So uh, there are people who have had like appendicitis and, you know, other things that have flared up 
Um, I'll share a little bit about my story in a minute, but um, I, you know, I think that that's pretty typical. It's like, whatever your weakest point is, COVID is it's going right yeah. for it. And, and so it really, it really knocked me down energy wise and it's yeah. been very hard for me to get back into my routine. I, I put on a couple of pounds. Uh, there's been a lot of good sports on TV in the last week or two, and I've been sitting on my couch a lot. And mm-hmm. and uh, you know, there's not much you can do. You just have to wait it out. And obviously, yeah. everybody's a little freaked out about it, so they don't want you coming by. They don't want to stop over. They just, you know, everybody's just leaving you to your own. It's it's a yeah. tough time, Bliss, to be single and be alone. Yeah, yeah, and emotionally. I think you and I texted about this a little bit emotionally. How was it for you? So physically, it was kind of mild, right? Compared to like what some other people have had to deal with in regards to COVID. Um, you know, it sucks to be sick, obviously, no matter what. But, you know, compared to like what could happen, you had a pretty mild case. But emotionally, what did you notice? Uh, well, I mean, I'm not sure specifically what you think as far as depression and stuff like that no I'm just I just what do you what did you notice that about because we kind of texted about it what did you notice well, you're quizzing me now on what I what I said to you a week ago I don't, <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> well what I'm alluding to is that I've noticed because it's a long time that you're not feeling well and a lot of people are in isolation there's more than just the physical aspect that I think we've had to deal with. I think there's an emotional component to it um, that I found I really had to like keep myself in check. Like this is just because I'm feeling ill and when I feel better, things are going to feel better. But it just felt like it kind of uh, emotionally also was, was difficult. And I, I found that a lot of my friends who contracted it recently felt similarly. Yeah, I mean, for me, it felt, it just felt like, you know, a loss of, I mean, the world is so crazy right now. And I think everything, when you have this much time to sit around and, and think about it and do nothing else, um, you know, and I happen to listen to podcasts and I probably self-inflict some emotional distress upon myself because of who I am and how my brain works and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, you know, and then my podcast uh, 241 came out where I where I went into evidence based BS. And yeah, it was a good episode. I, oh, thank you. I listened to that again, you know, and it got me riled up again. And and uh, the, there's so much stupidity and, and craziness in the world that it is it doesn't need it doesn't need to be that way. And, you know, families are divided by I spoke with my cousin who's very loving. And. He keeps telling me all the things that I think are wrong. I mean, he's a physician and he is completely on the other side of the fence for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but this is a disease of the unvaccinated and that thank God that he's been triple boosted so that he, when he got COVID was only mild. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, you would never have said that about a vaccine or anything like that two years ago. You never would have said, yeah. you know, I, I mean, you see these memes on, on Instagram where you know, if, if I got three polio vaccines and then I got polio, I wouldn't be happy about it. You know, right. I, got a, I got a mild case of polio. You know, <laughs> right. right. And yet people got right. three shots and they're happy that they only got mild COVID. It's like and this Omicron, by the way, is hopefully the 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 middle to the end of the end. 
that yes. people are going to get it, that it's going to then peter out. But of course, coronaviruses are going to be with us forever. And um, so we're going to end up, you know, having colds and flus that are related to this coronavirus, just like the other flus are related to other coronaviruses. But hopefully the world is starting to get more sane. I've been, you know, you watching the things, um, you know, some of the athletes that have come out, like this thing with uh, uh, Jokovic in Australia and stuff. and some of the insanity and, and people are beginning to, or more than beginning, they're beginning to wake up in the Joe Rogan show and all that other stuff that people have been listening to. Uh, people are starting to realize that they've been gaslit for a long time. Um, yeah. Um, there is a, a gentleman that I listened to from the UK. His name is John Campbell and he teaches um, in the UK, Africa and Asia. Um, he's got some great, really well-balanced information from other countries. Um, he's on YouTube. You guys can check him out. And he was talking about that a couple of weeks ago, he was saying that with this variant, it's basically giving us immunity to the Delta variant. So we're seeing Delta kind of go away completely. Um, and that what's happening right now is, is going to take us into an endemic phase. Um, and that the people who are susceptible to, you know, serious illness with the coronavirus are the same people who were, uh, you know, at risk from the flu. So um, the future seasons of having coronavirus, more than likely the way that um, viruses change, that they, it won't again get worse. It'll be kind of like the sniffles and yeah. Um, you know, a cold, cold symptoms. So that is good news, you know, it's in just common in, sense, bliss. It's just, it's just common sense, but I know it's common sense, but things have not been going according to common sense. So it's good to hear somebody reporting, um, that scientists and, and people are talking about the fact that we're coming to an end phase of lockdowns and um, pressure and the things that we've been going through that people like you and I, who have not necessarily just been jumping on the bandwagon right away, have been feeling really frustrated about. So hearing inklings of that kind of coming to an end and becoming an, an endemic phase um, feels really good. So yeah, do you want to hear about you, mine? You actually, you actually see, you know, uh, the, the health people in the in our country coming and, and changing their tune suddenly and talking about how, oh, all these cases of COVID weren't actually people with COVID. They were people who, you know, who were admitted to the hospital with something else and just happened to have COVID. And, you know, suddenly masks are not, you know, they don't really work. And you're hearing all the things that we have been saying and other people have been saying for a really long time. Uh, so the information's been out there and, and you know, things that were people were banned for on the internet for a long time, like the the lab leak theory and all that stuff, all that stuff is true now. But you know, there's going to be no apology from um, from big tech because it was remember it was never about the information itself. It was never about health. It was about something else. Anyway, so how did it affect you? So um, I was up in Oakland. Um, by the way, I'm in San Luis Obispo now. Uh, I have decided to um, settle down on the Central Coast. So I'm just kind of narrowing it down to what area between um, uh, Los Osos and Santa Barbara. Uh, um, so uh, more details to come soon. But I was in Oakland um, for the holidays at my sister's house when she was away. Um, with family, her family back in uh, the South. 
And uh, my best friend came up right before Christmas and the boys were going to come up that weekend for Christmas. And I just felt off. Like it wasn't anything serious. I just, I'm, I'm usually so healthy and so in tune with what's happening with my body that it was the slightest little, like something's not right. And so I had um, a COVID test uh, from Thanksgiving. I had two of them. So I took one at Thanksgiving. And so I had this extra one just in case, which is good because no one could find COVID tests. Uh, they were sold out everywhere. It was so difficult. So I'm really glad I had one. <clears throat> um, and I took the test and it came back negative. And so I was like, okay, I must just have a cold or something, uh, you know, maybe it's something else, something I ate or whatever. And I continued to feel just kind of off um, that whole week through Christmas. My boys came, um, my mom and my sister came back. My mom's 78. Um, my sister is really nervous. And uh, she did lose a friend to COVID, um, a young friend to COVID. Um, she's double vaccinated. And uh, so was my mom. They both got boosters right before they traveled. And um, I was planning to go back to LA for New Year's. And the friend that I had been staying with was like, you're not feeling well. I don't know how comfortable I feel with you coming over. And I said, I'll just take another test. The first one was negative, you know, just to make you feel more comfortable. Well, that one came back positive. And that was five days later. And I was like, shit. And, um, I have this thing. It's like a, like a nerve pain that I get from time to time. There's no, I mean, there's nothing to do about it. It's just really annoying. Um, and it travels around my body and, um, it probably gets flared up when I'm stressed or something like that. I haven't ever been able to really pinpoint it, but it was really bad. It was like three days of this nerve pain, which I had never had it that long. And so now that I look back at it, I think like what I was telling you about your tooth, I think that for some reason, the virus being in my body, you know, flared it up and really like made me pretty uncomfortable for a few days, but it was confusing because I never got a fever. Um, I had a little, I had headaches. Um, but I, I, um, had like a mild, mild, mild sore throat, but nothing that I would be able to say like no loss of taste and smell. I lost my appetite, which I was totally fine with because I needed to I had, lose a few pounds. I had the opposite, yeah. <laughs> it's back. My appetite's back. But um, but yeah, I uh, I came. Uh, my sister came back, and I told her that I was positive for COVID. She was she wasn't in the house at the time. She was taking my mom back, and she asked me to leave, which didn't feel great. I have to say, uh, you know, I think that if it was uh, the tables were turned. Um, even if I didn't know yet, I would isolate and, you know, help a friend out or a sister out when they're sick with COVID. And I had communicated that I didn't know that I felt well enough to drive six hours back to where hope was. And it didn't seem to matter. So for me, emotionally, um, being isolated on hope, not being able to see anybody feeling kind of rejected from my family. Um, I really had to keep my mind in check and just remember like COVID's really weird. People are really weird about it. It's not going to feel like this once you feel better. And it's true. But I think that um, I just wanted to mention that to people who might have contracted, that it does last a long time. Here I am, what, three weeks later, and um, 
I can still feel my energy level. Like if I go out and do a hike or I have a busy day, by the time it comes to like somewhere between five and six, I'm ready to chill. So it takes a long time to feel a hundred percent. And, um, I think it's good to just remind yourself that, you know, it is a difficult time. And once you feel better, you'll feel better. You know, some people say that you get sick when you're, when you can afford to get sick. And it's really an interesting thing because this month I have no births and yeah. I was able yeah. to cancel my office for two or three bit, you know, two or three uh, days that I'm in the office, I canceled all of them. Yeah. And I, I rescheduled everything. You and I have rescheduled a couple of times because you're right. You just, you, you, you may, I may go for a little walk and then I come back and that's it. That, that yeah. was it. And I'm two, I'm a little over two weeks out and I'm still, you know, um, limiting myself to like one event, one thing a day. I feel much better, but I'm limiting myself to one thing a day. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that I never tested for COVID because I don't care. And I think that people need to understand that the tests, one, first of all, are not necessarily reliable. And secondly, what difference does it make? People, when you're sick, you should stay home. When you feel fine, you should go out. And this whole idea of, of standing in line when you feel crappy for two hours to get a COVID test to determine yeah. whether or not you feel crappy or not is another one of these insanities that just makes no sense to me. What difference does it make whether you have a positive COVID test or not? You feel like crap, so stay home. Yeah. Well, and I think it depends on your situation because like my boys obviously were exposed and their workplaces wanted them to well, take a test. The demand and they couldn't, is such. Yeah, and they couldn't get a test. Yeah. There were no tests available. And so like Grant, who's, you know, a young guy who's, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, he didn't, he didn't get to work for a week and sucked and well, he never, he never, um, he never had any symptoms. And then when he tested, he was negative, but you know, no one's paying for that for him. Right. Well, it just, again, it, it ties into the complete absurdity of the world that, that they want you to have a test. There isn't a test available. And, and I'm not going to spend any time today really talking about the Supreme court decision about the Center for Medicaid Service or Medicare Services and how it, you know, healthcare workers are now still mandated to get vaccinated or get fired, which in a time when you need healthcare workers is utterly stupid. And what's happening in many states is they're having COVID positive vaccinated workers come to work and not allowing healthy unvaccinated people to come to work and they're firing them. And right. if, if you just stop to think about what I just said for a second, your mind would explode because it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And yet this is what's going on. And I have a letter. Oh, wait, before you move on to your letter, I do want to mention, remember I said my mom and my sister's vaccine status. So my, my sister was, had, had just gotten a booster and, and contracted COVID. And our symptoms are pretty much the same. I wouldn't say that there's any real difference between the symptoms that I have and the symptoms that she had as someone who had just gotten their booster. So for people to say that this is, you know, only affecting unvaccinated, it really is untrue. Um, you know, there are a lot of people I know who are vaccinated and even had recently gotten a booster who also contracted it. So it's just very, very contagious. And the vaccine isn't necessarily protecting people the way that they had hoped it would. So I just want to say that. Yeah, that's a bit of an understatement, but I'll just. Yeah, it. well, I wanted to mention it in real life. OK, your letter. 
Okay, well, this is a sad letter. This is from um, Physicians for Informed Consent uh, Forum, which is a group that I belong to. And it's written by a physician. I'll leave the name off of it, but it just says, it's not to me, it's to the group. It just says, hello, 40, goodbye medicine. She says, so today I celebrate my 40th birthday and feeling sad, made a choice back in the fall to walk away from medicine. After I had to give a 90 day notice after my hospital employer who announced the vaccine mandate. I have a medical exemption from my primary care physician, but doubt they would honor it and felt it was a risk to put my family in that position of being suddenly unemployed, which felt like a growing risk as they were also anti early treatment. And I could not in good conscience withhold treatment from patients. So I offered treatment options to anyone sick and gave many scripts in advance to have on hand before I left after careful discussion of the risk benefits alternatives and providing other resources like FLCCC, since COVID treatment options are dynamic and changing as time moves forward. I have four young children, so very reluctant to start my own practice with the time and capital investments involved. So I rejoined a family business, Technology Sales, that I worked for during undergrad and, it, and then during breaks a year before medical school. I'm only on day two, but feeling really heartbroken. I was transparent with them that my heart was not in it, but made a tough call to provide for my family. Already on day two, I am thinking even doing telemedicine only would be preferable, which I had mentally ruled out before. I hate how medicine has been overrun and destroyed. If I did not love my kids and husband so much, and I do, a tall bridge would look attractive right now. I am not actively suicidal by any means, but I feel shocked and grieved when the thought crossed my mind today for a very fleeting moment. I am sure that some of you can relate to this heartache and it helps me to know that I am not alone. I became a doctor because I wanted to help people and I just love science. But science has been intentionally obfuscated and weaponized figuratively and probably literally. That's the letter. So, um, yeah, I understand what she's saying. I'm very fortunate because I am self-employed. I don't accept Medicare. Um, I, I don't accept insurances. So this mandate that, you know, is insane because what it does is it says that people who work for regular companies don't, uh, can't, the one decision said that they can't be forced to take the vaccine. But if people who work for a company that takes government money, then you can be forced to take the vaccine. So you're segregating, you're, you're creating a two-tiered two or three-tiered or five-tiered system where some people are less protected by the constitution than other people. And you know, just my one commentary on the Supreme Court, there are three justices that are you know, on the far left and you don't expect anything from them, all right? But for Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh to think that it's okay to, to for dedicated healthcare workers to lose their job or be forced to be vaccinated. How, how is that, how did these people get on the Supreme Court? How do these people, are they supposed to they take an oath to defend the constitution of the United States? How is that constitutional? How can you force government workers, but not everybody else, or not even government workers, people that work for a hospital that might be a private hospital that happens to take Medicare, they have to force their employees to be vaccinated or fire them. And to the point where I just said earlier that they're firing people who are healthy and rehiring re people who are testing positive for COVID, but they've been vaccinated, which means that they're coming into the hospital 
spreading COVID to hospitalized patients who might be in there for a heart attack or cancer treatment or a motorcycle accident or something, and they're being exposed. And this is this this is what passes for logic and common sense in 2022. It, yeah. Okay. Rant over. Rant until the over. next until the next letter. <laughs> um, is there anything about uh, the way that you treated yourself um, that, in terms of um, supplements or medications or anything that you wanted to share? Well, I've been taking. I've told people before. I've been taking vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, quercetin, glutathione um, every day. I, I, I might be missing one. Um, and then I've been taking hydroxychloroquine once a week for over a year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When this got worse, I started taking hydroxychloroquine every day for five days, mm -hmm. which is uh, the Zelenko protocol. Other people are using ivermectin from the FLCCC protocol. And I've been, I've been writing lots of prescriptions for people. There are a couple of pharmacies I've found, thank goodness for them, that are filling it and are happy to do it. And then you have the corporate pharmacies, which are not filling it, um, which I think is completely unethical. And someday they will uh, be a reckoning, reckoning for them. I don't know when, yeah. but, but there will yeah. be. So that's what I did. And, you know, and then I, 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 ate, I drank a lot of orange juice and I had chicken soup. <laughs> Chicken soup. Uh, homemade is the best with broth. Yeah. A friend, a friend of, I didn't homemade it, but it was good chicken no. soup that was brought to me from yeah. a friend of mine came to my door and dropped groceries off, but didn't want me to come out and like say hello. So they just very sweet though. Yeah. It was like my own private uh, DoorDash. <laughs> <laughs> with love, delivered with love. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I take D and uh, I take D every day um, and zinc mostly because of what's happening uh, uh, with the pandemic. I've added zinc in because it's supposed to be so effective. D because I'm actually low, um, but D is also really good for your immunity. And you had given me um, a prescription preemptively for hydroxychloroquine a while ago. And you and I discussed, there's also an antibiotic that can uh, that goes with it, and I it, opted not to do the antibiotic because I wasn't feeling any real symptoms. But I did preemptively take the uh, hydroxychloroquine just in case. You know, it could have been a more serious case, which it wasn't, and maybe that helped. I don't know, but um, that's how. That's well, how I should it. also add that uh, once my tooth started hurting and I went to the dentist, he told me to get out amoxicillin. So I'm I added that at that time, but. Um, yeah. But I didn't take an antibiotic uh, in the first week or week and a half until my tooth started to go <laughs> go bad. Um, um, the only other thing I wanted to share as an update is that I went to peer review up here uh, with the local midwives up here in San Luis Obispo. Um, some people were zooming in. Uh, some people had masks and some didn't. I think um, the midwife friend of mine, who's a listener, hi, Tanya, um, said that... Uh, um, you know, in, in previous times when they've gotten together, most people didn't have masks, but I think because of the surge right now, you know, midwives know that if they get sick, they're not going to be able to provide care for their clients. Also, so I understand They also that. know that the masks don't do anything. Yeah. And 95s help, but the regular cloth masks are really, they, they don't they're do useless. anything. They're yeah. useless. Yeah. <clears throat> so we did chart review. 
Um, there was a lot of increases in uh, preeclampsia in their experience. And so I had kind of asked some questions about whether or not um, anybody had could see any correlation between vaccinated and unvaccinated. Um, these people happen to be unvaccinated, but one of the things that came out of the conversation is that they're going to start to keep local um, stats on their clients to, to start to see if there's any you know, trends. Um, a lot of the midwives that I've heard talk on uh, Facebook and stuff, we have some chat groups. Um, you know, there's just a lot more strange situations, increase in, um, in uh, stillbirth, increase in hemorrhages, increases in retained placentas, um, so just, I think it's good for us to start to keep some stats on vaccinated, unvaccinated, um, when they got COVID, if they got COVID during their pregnancy, what trimester, um, I think that those are really important. And the other thing I wanted to remind people about, cause I had a conversation with somebody recently about a side effect, um, is the VAERS reporting system. Um, to make sure that if you hear someone who, who believes that they had a side effect from the vaccine to go ahead and report it on VAERS. Cause I don't think everybody knows about that. So I just want to make sure that that's happening. Um, I was also on a chat group <clears throat> um, and it was um, midwives just kind of talking to each other, but I just thought that this was interesting. This was a side effect that I hadn't heard about. I've heard a lot about myocarditis and heart attacks and all kinds of things with blood clots, but this is my 15 year old daughter got her first dose of the Pfizer vaccine two days ago, she woke up this morning with severe vulva ulcers that are bleeding. Upon researching, I just learned that this is a rare, as much as these are reported, I guess, side effect. She is miserable and can barely walk. We are starting to do oral steroids, ibuprofen, cold compresses, and cortisone. Anybody have any other ideas? And it was so interesting to me because all of these people started giving her recommendations, but no one said like, holy shit, why are, why are we doing this? Thank you so much for sharing the story so that we can pass it along. You know, 15 year old girl wakes up with vulva ulcers from the vaccine. So just thought it was worth they're the more mention. Than just, they're more than just anecdotes at this point. Um, yeah. I got, I, got, I got two things that tie into what you just said, which is really interesting. It shows how your brain and my brain sort of are in sync a lot. But in, in our local LA midwife group, which I don't, I haven't attended, but I'm on their email group. Um, there was a, a question put out there. Um, we have a 39 week uh, multip with COVID. She's not testing until tomorrow, but she started having symptoms and such and such. We told her that if she goes in, this is what one midwife said. We told her that if she goes into labor, she has to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. When are you attend? When and she then the question: When are you all attending birth? CDC says ten days after the onset of symptoms. First of all, I don't know that the CDC says anything about home birthing midwives attending births, but but I'm not sure what they mean by that. But she says um, that she has a backup midwife willing to come to her home in the meantime if we won't. So I was going to ask you, Bliss, as a midwife, um, ethically speaking, um, do you if a woman just gets COVID but is you know mild or you're vaccinated or you've had COVID, do you, do you abandon them? 
Um, we, we did have that case early on, remember with my, one of my clients who, who, um, came in with a fever and a cough and then went in and tested positive when she was in labor. Um, and I didn't have anybody to come and assist me. So, um, she ended up staying at the hospital because she was going really fast, but that's the only time that it's happened. And at this point, now that I've been exposed to COVID and I know a lot more, and this is a really mild case in the likelihood of me getting it at this point, I think the, the main thing is affecting your other clients as well, you know, um, because not everybody's going to yeah, want just, you to just, be exposed, I, I guess but have- no, I wouldn't want to abandon a woman. And I know a midwife who uh, attended a birth recently. She was a few, you know, she was seven days past her first symptom and she felt comfortable. And she's a, she's someone who doesn't normally wear a mask, but she wore a mask at that birth. Um, so, you know, I, I know I don't want to, uh, I don't want to abandon a woman. And I think it's a case by case. You know, what's so ironic about this is that, is that the healthcare workers who worked on the front lines early in the pandemic, when there wasn't really any treatments at all in the even before the vaccines, which of course the vaccines are useless now, we're, we're learning that anyway. But mm-hmm. um, they all went to work every day because that's yeah. what their workers do. Yeah, yeah. And if I, I read this, I was a little taken aback by the idea that you know this woman wasn't even that sick, but you and you and you wouldn't go take care of her, even though you're double vaccinated or even triple vaccinated and you're wearing masks and all that stuff. So it's kind of it reminds me of an episode of Outlander where where um, this guy comes in on a ship with all these little spots on his body. And Claire, who's from the future, I'm spoiling this is a spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't watched Outlander. But but um, she recognized immediately as smallpox. All right. She's been vaccinated to smallpox. She's got this little thing on her arm that that people who got the smallpox vaccine in the 30s and 40s and 50s, you know, it left a scar. So she goes right in and rushes in to take care of it because she's not worried that she's been vaccinated. She's going to get smallpox. But yet here we are with people vaccinated. They're all worried about catching COVID. So what's the point? Again, it just it's just what's the point of being vaccinated? And then what is your Hippocratic or your I don't know what oath midwives take. But but healthcare workers, we, we you know, we're like I mean, we don't run into the fire like firemen do. or We don't run into the towers when they're crumbling. But. But we are, we are, we do are supposed, we, you know, when there's an outbreak of something in Africa, there are people that volunteer to go. And, yeah. and I just have a, I have a hard time with the idea that, that you would, that you would not go and you would say, uh, you know, I feel more comfortable with 14 days rather than 10. And I would, but the woman needs you now. So, yeah, yeah. It's really, a, really, we're creating, I, I wrote down some notes here. I said, we're creating like a Tower of Babel, all right? You've got the reasoned and the unreasoned as opposed to the different languages. And people are speaking different languages now. Yeah. And remember, remember the story was that they were trying to build a tower to heaven and God then struck them and gave them all languages. They couldn't understand each other anymore if people under, remember the, the biblical story. And it's sort of thinking because we are speaking completely different languages now. Those of us- well, think a certain way versus other people who think a different way. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, in regards to the vaccine, I, uh, or, or COVID kind of perspective, I think you're right. I think that I know that I can tell when I start to talk to someone 
whether or not it's going to be a conversation that should be pursued because I don't think that we can, we can hear each other really. So that's why I feel excited. You know, I'm always going to come back to something positive. That's why I feel excited that, you know, it seems like this is going into an endemic phase and a lot of the pressure that I think that we've been feeling for the last couple of years is going to be lifted. And, uh, I'm looking forward to what we've learned through this. And I, I sent you a message about this the other day. I got a little, um, esoteric in my thought process around COVID, but I really do believe that COVID has come with a, with a, with a lesson for each one of us, you know, in this way that it's, it's hitting our weaknesses. And that's not just like, you know, I got appendicitis or I got my nerve damage or you, I think it's like, have you been taking care of yourself? Are you, are you scared that you might get really sick because you haven't been caring for yourself? Or are you the kind of person who would turn your family member out because of this disease? Or, you know, like what is the lesson as a, as a society? What is it, what is it highlighting in what our weaknesses are as, as human beings and how we care for each other? That's, those are the kind of questions that I hope that at least the people that are interested in intimacy and connection and being a good human being are going to start asking themselves. I think it's really important what you say. And I think finding the positive for all of us, you know, whether it's changing the way you life, whether it's this woman who has to leave medicine, you know, maybe there'll be something that she finds uh, hopefully for her that will, that will lead her in a different path. It's not what she wanted to do. It's not what a lot of us wanted to do. A lot of us did not want to miss holidays with our family or not go to weddings or not be invited to bat mitzvahs or, or other things. I mean, we never saw that coming, but we've got to find the positive in it. You're right. The problem is, and I'm going to just briefly talk about this article in the Green Journal, which came out this month, is that those in certain positions are not hearing what you're saying. Mm -hmm. they're, 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 they found a hill to die on and they are going to die on this hill no matter what the evidence is. This is like Yuri Bezmenov, this, this, this communist defector who basically said, you can hit people who have been demoralized and brainwashed over the head with a two by four of truth over and over and over again, it won't make any difference. They will continue to believe what they wanna believe. Um, and, and the demoralization, which is what's been permeating, which is why your positivity is so important. Because it really, I mean, I hope that our listeners, if they take anything from any of the stuff that we have, is that we put information out there and sometimes it can be very depressing, but we, you, you have to find the positive in it. You have to bring yourself out of that depression and into something and make something, you know, make lemonade out of, out of lemons, I guess. Yeah, because ACOG, otherwise, but, what's the point? What are we well, doing? But ACOG, are we isn't, doing? Doing ACOG yeah. isn't doing that. So here's a commentary from the Green Journal this month. It says... Scientific evidence supporting coronavirus disease 2019 vaccine efficacy and safety in people planning to conceive who are pregnant and lactating. Okay. Everything we know, and they're coming out with a new current commentary about how safe this is in pregnancy. All right. They say to achieve herd immunity and thus reduce the spread of mutation of the virus, approximately two thirds of the population need to be vaccinated. All right. I don't know what they're even talking about. I mean, in Israel, 95% of the population is vaccinated and they have higher rates of COVID than anywhere, you know, than most of the modern world, right? Yeah. It's not a vaccine. 
We have to stop considering this to be a vaccine. It's not a vaccine. A vaccine gives you immunity. This does not do that. And yet they're reiterating the same dumb propaganda. This is this is a podcast 241 all over again. I mean, this is this is evidence based bullshit. All right. It's not a workable premise. You can't vaccinate everybody. And they have total confirmation of bias. They say the vaccine adverse events reporting system, which is VAERS, which you just mentioned, has recorded only a small number of minor and transient menstrual related adverse events among the more than 72 million females who've been vaccinated. Well, they're cherry picking their data. First of all, people who have a minor menstrual event are not going to report it to VAERS. Yeah. So you're choosing to use VAERS when it suits you, but you're, but you know, 20,000 or more people have been reported to have been killed by the vaccine in VAERS. And that's assuming that five, one to 10% of people are actually reporting these things. So it could be 10 to hundred times that, but you're, you're saying that, that there aren't a lot of reports of menstrual irregularities. Well, how many people are going to go through the, the process of signing on to VAERS to report the fact that they've, they bled twice this month? Not too many. All right. So that's it's yeah. And, and we don't we just don't know long term. We really don't. We don't know how this is going to affect things long term. So Right. And, they, and then they say the hypothetical immune cross reactivity that could result in implantation failure has proven erroneous. And I underlined it and three or four times they use the word proven. And these are one of these things where I where I, I tell people when once you see this, you can't unsee it as far as how this propaganda works. All right. Science is really never proven. All right. Says here that the similar concerns were also raised with the human papillomavirus vaccine and later proven to be inaccurate. All right. Well, there's a lot of problems with the human papillomavirus vaccine. I'm not going to go into that today. And nothing has been proven to be inaccurate. All right. Um, they say that this vaccine accumulates in the ovaries. This is an erroneous claim. Okay. Is it? Is it really? I mean, this is a propaganda piece signed out as a, as a commentary in the Green Journal, which of course, most of my colleagues will read and- Regurgitate. Regurgitate, exactly. That, that's yeah. exactly, that's a better word than I was gonna come up with. That's what they yeah. were doing, just regurgitate. Yeah. Um, let's see, uh, I'm just trying to find if there's anything else. I mean, you use the words of lower odds, less likely. Uh, studies in animals suggest there are no safety concerns. Um, on pregnancy outcomes in animals. I heard that there was a lot of problems with that in animals. Um, anyway, I could, I, I could go on and on and on here. Here I gave a double, a double exclamation point. So let me read this. Importantly, the increased COVID-19 severity and risk of death and adverse pregnancy outcomes observed with SARS-CoV-2 infection during pregnancy and the growing evidence about safety and effectiveness of the COVID-19 vaccination during pregnancy both suggest that the benefits of receiving COVID-19 vaccine during pregnancy would outweigh any potential adverse effects. Okay. Now, we've talked about this. They, they talk about people who with pregnant get more severe illnesses and more likely to be hospitalized. But when you say more likely, again, that doesn't mean anything. Is that two people were hospitalized and one with, with, uh, who were pregnant and, and one person wasn't? I mean, what numbers are they throwing out at you? And this is, it's just, and, there, and again, nothing in here about natural immunity, not even, not even talked about, no mention whatsoever. So when you say that things are getting better and the sun is coming up and uh, <clears throat> that's true, people know where to look, 
But the credibility of organizations have been damaged for, for, for decades, if not centuries. Mm-hmm. Are people going to trust the CDC or the NIH? Are the people going to trust the Justice Department or the Supreme Court? Are people going to trust ACOG or the American Medical Association? Um, you're right. Some people will just read it and regurgitate it, but, but I, could, I will never be able to go back. Yeah. That goes in the round file. I have a that, round. And that's okay for me because I think a lot of these systems uh, need to be dismantled and 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 need and we need to be questioning what are their motives because you know I've mentioned this before. <clears throat> this is things that midwives have been talking about and have been complaining about for a long, long, long time. So for things to be highlighted that you know they may not have our best interests in mind and. We need to be thinking about how to care for our bodies in ways that are natural and um, preventative, you know, that just, it just underlines what we've been saying for a long time. So it doesn't bother me. Well, for many, for many of us who are, who are open-minded, you're right. This is a, this is a course correction for a lot of us in our lives. Um, Who do we rely on? Who can we rely on when there's a problem and who, who maybe was a fair weather friend or a fair weather um, source uh, yeah. the, the media has defined itself as being completely sold out. Big tech has been sold out. I mean, you, 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 if you're willing to look, there's a lot of things that you can take from this that will change your life for a positive, in a positive way. So do it, do it, go, go to the positive. So you know what time it is, Bliss? It's time to talk about boobies. Yeah. It's time to talk about one of our good sponsors, Bamboobies who we love dearly. One, we love them because they sponsor us, <laughs> but two, yes. because they have great organic products. Right. And we're not going to have any sponsors that we can't stand behind what they do. So we love them for that. Yeah. I wish we had like a beer sponsor. <laughs> I don't drink beer, but you do. <laughs> no, I know. No, because I, I mean, Bamboobies is great stuff, but it's not products for Dr. Stu, put it that way. It's products yeah. for products for our listeners, but that's products for the bump breastfeeding and beyond. They like to say, so yeah, it's, you know, they, they, they focus really on comfort for moms and both physically and emotionally, and they have great products. I mean, we've, we've talked in the past about their nursing pads and nursing bra, and you can mention a little bit about that in a second, but we also talk about um, some of their organic products, including their organic nipple balm, which is 100% organic. It's non-toxic. You don't have to wipe it off before you have breastfeed the baby. Um, it makes breastfeeding more comfortable for the mom. And it's got natural ingredients, including extra virgin olive oil, beeswax, shea butter. You know, I love stuff with shea butter in it, too. It's actually really good for you. Yeah. Even if you buy, I do. <laughs> and, uh, there's no lanolin or and it's made in the USA. So tell us a little bit about the, the nursing stuff. Well, they have um, the nursing pads that I've talked to you about that I really love. They're the number one sustainable nursing pad in a wonderful heart shape made with bamboo renewable um, as a renewable source. And the reason they do that heart shape is so that you it's not so visible. Those of you who have worn um, breast pads, nursing pads, you know that you can see them through your clothes and it's, it's not cute. So that's the reason for the heart shape design and it works so well. And then they've got a really great, um, also made with bamboo, um, stylish racerback nursing bra that can be used in your 
wardrobe that has a little clasp and you can um, breastfeed wherever you're at. So check them out. They're great. They're great for the environment. They're great for mamas. And um, tell them about the discount codes too. Yeah, they go, if you go to bamboobies.com and you put in the code instincts, that's I-N-S-T-I-N-C-T-S, you get uh, 25% off your purchase. And so we would hope that you'll support them. Um, we are going to encourage them to come out with a organic beer. And uh, <laughs> then I'll be really encouraging you to uh, support them. No, <laughs> support them because they support us and they make the, the um, possibility of our podcast um, go. And making great products. So thanks, Bamboo Leaves. Thanks, Bamboo Leaves. Okay, so... Okay, so we can... Yeah, I was just going to say, we're on, we're on the same page again. We wanted to talk a little bit about our statistics from, yeah. from, I did two years worth because I didn't remember if we did 2020 or not. And I wanted to have more numbers. Um, <laughs> we did. We did, but that's okay. Right. We well, anyway, this, this way it was, you know, I had, I had 99 births in, um, well, 99 people come into care in the last two years. And so I, I was hoping I had a hundred because then it would really make the math really easy. But uh, <laughs> I had ninety. And, and why, why don't you go through yours first? And then oh, mine's mine's fast. You do yours. No, you do yours first because okay, people will pay attention. By the time they get through mine, their heads will be spinning. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I um <clears throat> I had forty eight births in uh, twenty twenty. Um, so I didn't do my numbers for 2020. I only did them for 2021. And, um, I was only in LA for six months. So in the, in that six months I did 17, um, I attended 17 deliveries and, um, I had one transport, uh, which was for prodromal labor, uh, third day. She just got exhausted and tired and decided that she was ready for something different. Um, she did end up with a C-section. So, my uh, transport and C-section rate was 6% last year. Um, and um, the Which only other thing one, that I- One out that, of 17. Uh-huh. Yeah. The only other thing that I noticed um, was that I had a 53% water birth rate last year, um, which is high actually, because- I think a lot of people want to have water births. And then, uh, especially when we have a lot of multips, they don't necessarily always end up um, making it into the tub. Uh, no, we don't. But, Sometimes um, they give birth on the toilet. That's correct. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty good year in terms of stats. I mean, the uh, 6% C-section rate and one, per one person transporting for non-emergent reasons, um, knock on wood, I had a good year. And I'm on call for a couple bursts right now. So I'm excited. Um, I hope that I by the next you time have, you have one of my record, clients, I'll have attended a birth. Huh? You have one of my clients coming up in the spring. Uh, well, not, she's not your client anymore, but I yes. Know, I know. <laughs> I'm so thrilled she found you. I didn't know that you were even an option. So I'm, I'm thrilled she looked you up because she listens to our podcast. So yeah. And she just thought, well, maybe, maybe, cause she has a home in Oakland and a home in, um, I'm sorry, in Davis and a home in, um, Oxnard. And so she thought, well, wh wherever she is, we might be able to make it work and it, it's going to work. So yes, I am available. If you're on the central coast, I'm excited and ready to start working with clients who want somebody who believes in birth like I do. So let's hear your numbers. Okay, so I, I, I want to preface too. my numbers by saying to remember everyone that these are not, these numbers do not reach statistical significance. 
So you can't use them as a scientific paper or any or or premise. <laughs> okay, uh, we won't do that. Yeah, it's a just full disclosure. So mm -hmm. um, in 2020 through 2021, I had 99 clients come into care. Interestingly enough, 51 of them were breach or twins. So that is interesting. My practice is 51% not cephalic singletons. <laughs> I would have thought it was higher, actually. Oh, really? That's no, that's really high. I mean, in, in a typical practice, if, if breaches are 3% and a twin is one in 40, you should have maybe five or 6% of your practice should be breaches and twins. And yeah, mine was but, 50, that's, but you specialize 51%. in that and you're the only person who does it. So, yeah. Yeah, I had I had 99 people came into care. 16 of them were transferred prior to labor for complications that would arise. Things such as um, premature rupture of membranes. Um, in twins, there were TTTS. I had three cases of TTTS, which is twin-twin transfusion syndrome. Um, let's see, I had one. Um, some were post-dates that were not in labor. Um, Yeah, you know, I think there might have been some for um, things like um, no, not, I didn't really have any cholestasis, but but uh, there were I uh, maybe maybe some for preeclampsia, but there were those were the kind of things those so we so out of the ninety nine there were sixteen transfusions, so eighty three clients went into labor, and of the eighty three that went into labor, I had 11, 11 transports, which is thirteen point two percent, so about twice your transport rate. All but, of my but, transport but average, that's 10 to 15 percent is well, your when average. You, when you consider yeah. also the, the kind of clients I'm taking care of. Right. Right. I'm thrilled that it was only 13.2 percent. All of the transports were primips. So once again, I had 100 percent success rate with multips, whether it be twins. Mine was a primip as well. Mm -hmm. well feedbacks I count as primips unless they've unless they've had a already had a successful feedback and they're just a subsequent feedback. Uh -huh. um, of the of the transports, five were head down babies, four were breaches, and I only had two twin transports out of 20, um, 25 sets of twins. Great. So that's pretty good. And they, yeah. kind of, they were primips. And of the twins that transported, one had a vaginal delivery and one had a cesarean. And of the breaches who transported, one had a vaginal delivery, thanks to Dr. Barry Brock. And three had cesareans. And of the five cephalics who transferred, um, three ended up having vaginal deliveries and two ended up with cesareans. So my cesarean rate, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six cesareans out of 83 people, whatever that comes out to be, 7%, something like that. Yeah. Okay, not bad. Not um, bad. Of those that delivered, I had 29 that were head down. I had 20 breaches. Of the breaches, 15 were frank and five were complete breaches. And there were 23 sets of twins that delivered vaginally. Only two were mono-die and uh, 21 were die-die. Um, and there were 15 that were vertex-vertex, three that were breach-vertex, and five that were vertex-breach. Um, I don't think I had any in the last two years of breach, breach twins last, in the last two years. So 
you know, eight out of 23 were at, at least one breach. Those would have all had C-sections in the, in the hospital world. Awesome. Right. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. So this, so the C-section rate for me for twins was, was very, very low. I mean, there were just, there were, I had two transports, one C-section out of 25 twins, which is what, 4%? Yeah. Yeah. 4%. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Now that doesn't include the transfers of care, obviously. And, and you know, and again, the ones that transferred before labor. Right? Some of them delivered, I think three of the nine transfers of care delivered vaginally and, and six of them had C-section. Um, and so that's, that's, that's pretty much my stats. Great. Right. Uh, um, okay. So this year, this year is only going to be like 10 people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to have very many this. Well, I don't know. I could get busy. We'll see. You could get busy. We will see. We will see. Yeah. Well, you know what? We uh, we both needed a break. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, we both needed All a right, break. So I, I, I have a couple letters because um, we got a little bit of time left. So I'd like to read them if that's okay with you. Because I, I, yeah. I, told, I told these people that I would read their letters. I'm going to read a review at the end. Okay, at the end. All right. So this one. It's an interesting letter from Julia, and it's important because it's about a topic that I don't think you and I have ever discussed. It's about a congenital cytomegalovirus, or CMV. Mm-hmm. And she wanted me to read it because she wants people to be aware, and I think it's probably, I, I looked up the incidence of it. It's about seven per 1,000 live births. <clears throat> so that's not completely unusual, mm-hmm. 0.7%. Um, Seems high to me, but but that's but that's because it's probably not picked up every time. Um, yeah, I haven't ever seen it. Okay, dear Stu, happy holidays. I hope this email finds you well. I'm a longtime listener of the show, and I think you and Bliss are doing such amazing and important work to empower women. Oh, that's the end of the letter. I'll just quit right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have emailed you before and let you know that I was planning my second home birth. I ended up having my son at 34 weeks and two days. And while my home birth did not come to fruition this time, I had a very empowering hospital birth experience with no interventions and really leaned into the trusting the birthing process, even at 34 weeks. I was hoping you could use your platform to spread awareness on an issue that has recently become a major part of my life and my son's story. My son was in the NICU for seven days. He was really doing quite well for 34 weeks. And the last few days especially were just, quote, baby jail, unquote, as he was just simply there for observation. In any case, while there, he failed the newborn hearing screen three times. The doctors and nurses reassured us that it was probably just fluid and that he's a preemie and his ears just need more time to develop. They sent us home with an outpatient repeat screen two weeks later. When he failed that outpatient screen as well, I was unprepared and blindsided. A couple of days later, my son had a regular pediatrician visit, and she suggested we do an easy saliva swab for CMV because it is the leading non-genetic cause of hearing loss in infants and children. Mm-hmm. He reassured me it'll, pro- it'll, it'll probably come back negative, but let's just see. Well, once again, I was shocked when I received a call a full week later confirming that he was in fact positive for congenital CMV. Our world changed at that very moment. Unfortunately, he was already a month old when the diagnosis was made. Start of a grueling six-month treatment is best administered within the first 30 days of life. 
So we had to act fast. <clears throat> we are in constant communication with an infectious disease specialist. My son has had numerous blood draws, ultrasounds, tests, specialist appointments, and the like in the last month since receiving his diagnosis. He has moderate central neural hearing loss in both ears and will be fitted for hearing aids next week. We do not know to what extent this virus will affect him in the future. The most severe cases have a sequelae of hearing loss, vision loss, developmental delays, learning disabilities, cerebral palsy, seizures, and even death. Congenital CMV is the number one infection causing birth defects in the US, yet awareness for this virus is extremely low, mm -hmm. as you said. When the news is blasted constantly with updates and the latest science surrounding another virus, it feels like you've been run over by a bus when you're diagnosed with a virus you've never heard of. I passed this to my child in utero, yet the risks were never mentioned once during this pregnancy, nor my, nor my others. When my son failed a hearing test in the NICU three times, I am dumbfounded as to why one of the in-house pediatricians did not suggest ordering the saliva swab to test for CMV. Mm -hmm. Sounds like it was an error on their part. Well, it sounds like, it, again, it's one of those things that people don't, it, 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 if you've not seen a case, you probably don't think about it. Well, but these are, these are, NICU. but in the NICU, I would expect that they would. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Three times if he failed it. So again, you can't, you don't know the details, but you can look at it from afar and say that's sort of negligent. Yeah. In hindsight, he also said some other markers for CMV birth, including jaundice and prematurity. But no one mentioned to us that it could be CMV. We lost precious time and treatment options for our little guy because testing yeah. newborns for CMV who fail the hearing screen is not the standard of care in the hospital. Hmm. And we, it should be, obviously. Yeah. Why not? It's a swab. I mean, they, they, they run all kinds of other tests, especially in the NICU. Yeah. I'm not asking for the world to shut down or for people to quarantine to slow the spread of this virus. <laughs> All I, good sense of humor. All I want is for parents to be aware that they can practice good hygiene when they're pregnant. Don't share utensils and, with toddlers or kiss them on the lips, for example, and know what signs to look out for after the birth of their child so they can get tested right away instead of delay and waste valuable treatment time, if that's the route they want to opt for. CMV is usually not harmful for healthy adults and children. And often people display mild cold-like symptoms, if at all. But for infants who contact it congenitally, it can be devastating. I'm not trying to scare anyone or instill fear. However, I don't want another parent to think, why hasn't anyone warned me about this exceptionally common virus? When they're in my very shoes, spending late nights Googling, wondering how severely this will impact my son, wishing I had been more careful in pregnancy not to share food or drinks with my toddler. And absolutely baffled that my child spent a week in the NICU that completely overlooked this condition that will have serious effects on his life. I would so appreciate it if you would take the time to read my letter on your podcast. I value Bliss and yourself as voices of reason and trust in the birth world. And I know so many parents and professionals alike really take to heart what you have to say. Thank you for your time and have a healthy and happy new year. All the best, Julia. So there is treatment for this. It is antivirals on a daily basis. And the sooner you get started, the better. Um, for the mom when she's pregnant or the no, baby? The, no, this is for the for the baby. Yeah. Um, how you would treat CMV in the mom when you're pregnant, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, that is something that, again, I've never encountered, so I'll have to look up. I've screened for CMV a few times. I've also screened for parvovirus uh, B19, which sometimes will cause, it causes slap face disease in kids. So. 
you know, kids can can get sick from these viruses, but they're not really that sick. But if it but the if the pregnant woman gets it now, most of us once you've had CMV or once you've had Parvo or even Epstein Barr, you, you never get it again. You have lifelong lifelong immunity, believe it or not. That natural immunity thing does work. Um, yes, it does. Your body actually is very wise. But for for you know for the first people who are exposed to this during pregnancy, so things to watch out for are if your little kids are 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 you know feverish or not feeling well, or you think it's a cold, um, maybe consider having your pediatrician screen for CMV if you're pregnant. If you're not pregnant, it's no big deal. Um, yeah. And as she says, when you're pregnant, um, you know, be careful when you're around little kids to not maybe share some of their utensils and things like, you know, taking the same spoon and, and feeding them and then feeding you if they're, if they're sick. If they're not sick, you don't worry about it. And generally when you're a parent and your kid is sick, you, all you can do is cuddle them and, and you want to be around them as much as you can possibly do and hug them and love them. And, and, you know, you should be screened for that. And we should, we should be more careful. I don't know what you can do to prevent it um, other than good hygiene and staying away. Um, and I don't know if you get, if you catch CMV while you're pregnant, I, I imagine that there's probably something that you can do to try to minimize the, the risks of congenital passage, but I don't know that you can do that. I'd have to look that up. Do you know that um, if they had caught it earlier, that maybe there would be less hearing loss? Is that what she's saying? No. Um, no. No. It's just, but the likelihood of reversing the hearing loss is, in, is improved by early treatment. The likelihood of reversing some of the symptoms. Um, I did do a little research on it, uh, on the on the treatment for it. And it is says it all says if you can get it within the first 28 to 30 days. Uh, if you can start treatment, that makes much more, you know, it, it gives you better outcomes. Which makes more sense to me now why they're so um, interested in, in doing hearing tests on newborns, because if you catch it early, you could be able to reverse it. Yeah. So, and that's something that we don't push in the home birthing world as much. No, no. But good, good information. Thank you for reading but that. Another key to this case, and she said it once, was the fact that she went prematurely into labor. Right. There, you know, when, when nobody with, with no risk factors delivers prematurely, you should have higher levels of suspicion for something odd. Usually an infection, some kind of infection. Possibly, right. Yeah, or stress. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Um, I have one more. All right. I think we got time. This is a this is a brief story, and it's also a fear of the system story. And this is from Vanessa, and she says, "Hi, Doctor Stu. We were in contact back in June, uh, just six days before I went into labor at 38 weeks and three days. I had a very fast labor, fully dilated within two to three hours, with my baby's foot in my cervix, at station plus one upon hospital arrival. But the doctor still pressured me into a C-section." I did not want an epidural or MRI of my pelvis, so the doctors were not on my side, although they were all trained on vaginal breach delivery, which is interesting because I, I have no idea where she was where they were all trained on vaginal breach delivery. Hmm. Despite being trained, they still rushed me into the OR and tried separating me from my fiance and did not let my doula in. I did my best to decline surgery, but I had a doctor yelling in my face, quote, do you understand the risks, unquote, repeatedly. We also had a velamentous cord insertion, so intuitively I felt that perhaps the baby would have been fine, but maybe something would have happened to me. 
Of course, there's no way to know for sure, but this is something I have considered to help myself come to terms with how things turned out. I started to get pushy, so they gave me tributylene to slow down my contractions. And then the spinal didn't work, so I also had to get an epidural. At least they didn't give her general. Yeah. All the while, my son's foot continued to come out. They also encouraged me to take antibiotics, and I really hated being pumped with all these drugs. Well, I was aware of your reputation for breach vaginal delivery. I only recently discovered your podcast a few weeks ago. Welcome, Vanessa. I was not aware that you and I held so many of the same views when it comes to other aspects of the medical system. My birth was quite traumatic, as you can imagine. I desperately wanted a natural delivery and even contemplated free birthing at home. So being pressured into a C-section has been very hard to process and accept. Ironically, my labor initially went the way I had wished. I wanted to go into labor alone at home. I wanted everything to move quickly in hopes that I wouldn't make it to the hospital. My baby even decided to come on our five-year anniversary, as I predicted. I feel so cheated that I was pressured into surgery, and it has made me despise the system even more. I'm not commentating on, on whether you should despise a system when this happens, but I can tell you this is a real feeling that people have. Um, um, and it's tragic. Many people tell me I made the right decision, especially after seeing how extreme our, our velamentous cord insertion was, but I just wish I knew how things could have gone in an alternate universe. I have been mourning the birth I did not have for seven months now. The feelings of regret come and go. Some days are easier or harder than others. I'm writing to you for two reasons. First, I wanted to share my story with you because after listening to many episodes of your podcast, I feel you are one of the only people on the planet who truly understand what I went through and one of the only people that will truly hear me out. Well, I can tell you that Bliss and most of our listeners um, are hearing you. Yeah. Second, I was hoping to gain some insight and resources on a situation for my child. My fiance and I have chosen not to get him any shots. We have done our fair share of research and are firm in our decision. We brought our son to his one-week appointment, but have not returned since. I tried to forgore the heel prick testing, and they made my life living hell until I gave in. After 30 days postpartum, your partner is not allowed to come to the baby's pediatrician visits due to ridiculous COVID restrictions. And since I had a C-section, this made us even more resist resistant to take our son in for wellness checks. Like I, I gather because it was hard for her. Yeah. Four weeks postpartum to yeah. drive a car and go to the hospital, that sort of thing. And take the baby by yourself. The pediatrician, right. I have some anxiety regarding hip dysplasia because he was breech. He appeared to have mild torticollis, which he does, which we have been working on on our own at home, along with checking his hips. He does not appear to have any issues and is crawling beautifully. I am terrified of medical, medical kidnapping but I don't want to go in and have him checked because I already know they will shame us for not vaccinating. When I initially declined, the, the fact that, I'm gonna digress here for a second, the fact that this even comes up in a letter tells you volumes of where we're at. And, yeah. and you know, it's not because this woman is paranoid. It's not because this woman sees fear. This is a woman who wanted to have an unassisted home birth. I mean, she's not fearful beyond belief, but. She listens into, you know, to stories that people tell, and she probably maybe had friends or something that experiences, and she's terrified that because of her choices, yeah, that Child Protective Services will be called. Right. Right. Reasonable. So, Reasonable. Yeah. So she's even resisted taking her baby in. Like yeah. when I wrote her back, I suggested she take her baby to a chiropractor or have a craniosacral person come 
even six months out and take a look at her baby. Um, there's no re no harm in doing that. But <coughs> the fact that she's <coughs> excuse me, the fact that she's nervous is 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 tragic. Yeah. Um, when I initially declined the newborn testing, the pediatrician said, "quote Sometimes in trying to protect our babies, we hurt them." Unquote. They scared me because I developed hyperthyroidism and there, and there ended up being nothing wrong with him anyway once we received the result. I'm not sure if that was when she was pregnant or not. She also stated matter-of-factly that vaccinations begin at two months without even asking our opinion or sharing the pros and cons. No surprise there. Yeah. I was hoping to get your insight onto how to navigate if we ever need to take him in for an emergency or if he does seem to have hip dysplasia once he starts walking. I appreciate you taking the time to read my story. I would be so grateful for any insight you might be able to share with me. I know how busy you guys are. I am low income on Medi-Cal, but would have been thrilled for you to attend our birth if we could have. Mm, yeah. Thank you, Vanessa. So just briefly, Bliss, what would you suggest to tell her about, you know, when the baby eventually has to go get seen for something? Um, I, I think that it's, um, and this is easier said than done for some personality types, but I think you just have to really, uh, use the system in a way that works for you. And so you have to be able to be strong in your convictions to say, my son's not vaccinated. I've made my informed decision. I'm here because I want to, you know, be a good responsible parent and get these things checked out. But I, I, you know, be very clear that an unwavering in your communication um, and forthright with them. And I think that people, they may push back, but if you've done your education, you've informed yourself, um, eventually, you know, you can say, I'll sign anything that you'd like for me to sign in terms of that you've informed me about the risks, but I've, I've done my research. And the reason that I'm here is for X, Y, and Z. And I really am not, um, I'm not here to discuss our decisions about vaccines. You took the words right out of my mouth. All right. Mm -hmm. You know, be direct. I'm here because my kid sprained his ankle. Mm -hmm. Right. Let's take care of his sprained ankle and let's deal with that. And yeah. keep, yeah, and, and keep them focused on you. She's, but she's not wrong to fear the idea that people are going to ask invasive, non relevant questions sometimes. Mm -hmm. And we have to figure out a way to deal with that. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, 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 you know, people think they're taking a medical history, you know, for something. And I mean, when you take a medical history, you do ask certain questions, but yeah. Yeah. Um, we have to be able to accept the fact that, you know, I, I prefer, you know, not to answer that question or I prefer, you know, or, 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 as you said, stand with your conviction and say, we, you know, we've looked at the data very carefully and this is what we've chosen to do. Will you please attend to my kid's sprained ankle? Yeah. And unfortunately, um, the care that people get with Medi-Cal insurance is usually incredibly subpar and is riddled with uh, a lot of government oversight. And, you know, it's a reasonable thing. But I also think that she needs to figure out a way to know that she can go in if her child really needs something and and keep the conversation directed at what it is that. Um, at this point, there's no, there's nothing that I know, um, about the vaccine in general, um, 
this vaccine in general with for children, but I think she's probably talking about overall vaccines, right? Yeah. Just not yeah. doing any vaccines. Yeah. Right. The overall vaccines, I'm sure, is what she's yeah. talking about. First of all, it's not it's not approved for anybody under five yet anyway. Not yet. Yeah. But, it's uh, very unfortunate. And we understand, but I also don't want you to be afraid to get medical care if you need medical care. So you have to really find that that chutzpah inside of yourself to to be very clear and direct about I don't consent I'll sign any form that you want so that people know um, that um, you've informed me I understand that it's your you're just trying to do your job and make sure that I'm informed I'm very well informed about this thing and I'm here for x y and z and I'd really appreciate it if we would focus on that and I think the stronger and more clear you are with people um that they they will back off um, it's when you're wishy-washy that I think they keep, you know, going at it, not, not to diminish any of your, um, experience with your C-section, because I know that it can be very overwhelming and intimidating, especially when you're in labor and feeling vulnerable. Yeah. And I, and I think that, that, you know, as your kid gets older, you can, you can find, um, alternative healthcare providers like the naturopathic, uh, physicians and things when they need a, a physical exam for, for competing in sports or something like that, you can, you can, you'll be able to find like-minded people. You might have to pay out of pocket. You're right. Because Medi-Cal people often, they often get profiled and, and, and you really don't want to have that happen. But I would also say that whenever you have to go in an emergency room for anything like, or anything like that, try to not to be confrontational. Um, if they, if they come at you with something, just, you know, try to find a way to talk to them in a way that doesn't, get their ire up because you're not going to win that conversation with these people. They're right. You're wrong. Just (laughs) that's the way they think. And uh, we just have to, you know, we have to leave it at that. So it's a predicament. And I I wanted to read the letter because she's not, Vanessa's not alone. Yeah, no, she's not. Especially in our population. We see a lot of people who choose not to follow what's considered mainstream. um, Although, sometimes patently absurd guidelines. Truth. All right. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to read a review. Oh, great. Right. And I, we haven't gotten any reviews since November. So come on. We want to hear from you guys. This is a way that um, people find out about the podcast. When you go on to Apple podcast and um, leave a review, it helps other people find us. So I think you guys know that Stu and I are really passionate about getting the word out and having people like-minded people be able to find us. So we really appreciate it when you rate and review. Um, So this is great because it's a dad and we don't often get reviews from a dad. So he says, um, I'm hunched over this evening, applying a coat of sealer on a hand-me-down two-piece bookshelf for our impending daughter's bedroom. As I brushed the clear coat on, I listened to Dr. Stu and Bliss converse about different topics and their impact on the birthing world. For this to be first-time father, my eyes are opened wider to alternative practices of childbirth, as well as learning the importance of advocating for my growing family's well-being. Each story told calms my heart and helps me prepare mentally for numerous scenarios that may present themselves along the way. With their experience and well-informed perspectives, Dr. Stu and Bliss are a tremendous resource for moms, dads, and professionals alike. So now I am all in on the Birthing Instincts podcast and will continue to tune in 
leading up to and after the birth of our baby girl. I am anxious to meet you, our little girl, yet I know now she will come when she is ready. Um, Kirk W. in New Jersey wrote that great review. Thank you. Five stars, of course. Of course. They should have six. (laughs) (laughs) I was remembering the time that you went on when you didn't know very much about the podcast and you gave us a one star. (laughs) I did. I did. You thought well, that that was I just best. thought, you know, the one on the left was like the, the best. So I, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Anyways, it's great to see you, Stu. I'm glad you're feeling mostly better. And um, next week, uh, we're going to talk about, I haven't told you this yet. Next week, or I think I mentioned it. We're going to talk about um, preeclampsia and um, increased blood pressure in pregnancy. And then the week after that, I'm really excited Um, we're going to have a midwife come on and talk about her twin birth experience. She's, um, overseas right now with doctors without borders, but, um, I'm, I'm, uh, really excited to share her wisdom and her perspective on twins from a midwifery perspective and, um, also being somewhere outside of the U S. And the last thing that I would like to say is, um, that, you can listen to me on uh, Nathan Riley's Holistic OBGYN podcast, which just came out this week, which will be about three weeks from now um, or three weeks ago, I guess. And also on the Miraculous Mamas podcast. It's another podcast. We did a, another really nice conversation. Um, so that's another podcast. If, if you're looking for more podcasts to listen to, we've got so there's so many out there. There's doing it at home. I mean, I don't want to leave anybody out, so I'm not going to start to name off podcasts, but there's so many good ones out there. But um, I was interviewed by Nathan Riley at Holistic OBGYN and people know who he is. Um, you, it's a great conversation between the two of us. Um, and then the Miraculous Mamas podcast as well. Okay. Great. All right. So until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 